open up the word of God to 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter. We're still doing spiritual gifts. I know last week we took a break from it. And then the week before that, we had a Christmas message and we didn't get into the gifts. But today is part four. We're still in it. 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter. Beginning at the first verse, when you got it, let me know. Amen. Everybody got it? All right, verse 1, Paul says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the gifts, the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him. But he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding encouragement and consolation the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself let's say that part again the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself but the one who prophesies builds up the church now I want you all to speak in tongues but even more to prophesy the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets Somebody say, what does that mean? (laughs) So that the church may be built up. Father, I pray right now that through your Holy Spirit, I can teach and preach your word with clarity and boldness. Give me the power of the Holy Spirit. Enlighten myself in this congregation that you've placed in front of me so that we might receive spiritual wisdom and insight to understand and comprehend the depth of your word. Help us to apply, help us to learn and grasp what it means and to immediately put it into action. Be glorified in this time when we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, uh, Paul says something in 2 Corinthians, I believe it's the fifth chapter, speaking to the church, he says, Uh, We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be judged according to the deeds that have been done in the body. When Paul says that, he's saying that every believer, he's not talking about unbelievers, he's talking about us. He says we're going to stand before the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Jesus, and Jesus is going to be seated on his throne. We're going to be seated or standing before him. And it says that everything we've ever done, our actions, we will have to give an account for. Amen. But then you go over to Matthew chapter 12 and Jesus says this. He said, every careless word spoken, men will give an account for. Some translations say every idle word spoken. That word that we spoke in secret, that word that we spoke when we stubbed our foot on the table, that word we said about the person we smile in front of and talk about them crazy when they're not there. Jesus says every careless word spoken going to come up on the judgment. So based on that, we know that what we do and what we say, we're going to have to answer for. As sobering as that is. Paul caps the subject off in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, and he gives us another aspect of God's judgment that's going to come up. He says, do not declare judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, 
Because on that day, God will expose the motives of men's hearts. He says, it's not only what you say and what you do that you will give an account for. But he says the reason behind what you did will come up. This shows us that you can do the right thing and still get an F. Because our motives were not intact. Paul put it this way in Philippians 1. He says, some preach the gospel out of goodwill and love, but others preach the gospel out of selfish ambition. You can do the right thing, but do it for the wrong reasons. Our motives matter. God gave us spiritual gifts. If you belong to him, the moment his spirit came to live inside of you, God deposited through his Holy Spirit gifts and abilities. These gifts and abilities are given for a specific purpose. And the purpose for which God gave these gifts is so that you and I might use it to serve and edify and be of an advantage to each other. That's why he gave the gifts. They're supposed to be mutual service amongst everybody in the body of Christ so that your gift is used for my benefit and my gift is used for your benefit. Hear me on this. Paul is about to explain to us that any motivation of spiritual gifts that does not lead to that outcome is outside of God's design for why he gave those gifts. If the gifts are not being used with the intentions of mutually serving your brother and sister, we ain't doing it right. There are a lot of reasons people use their spiritual gifts. But mutual service is not always that reason. Let me go this. Let me go a step further. Culturally. And I could say. This is cross cultural. Black church, white church, Hispanic church, any church you can think of, but definitely in the United States. There is this uh, subconscious motivation we have for coming to the local gatherings. Whether it's a Bible study, whether it's Sunday service, whether it's a men's, women's breakfast, men's, women's day, youth day, whatever it is, we have this subconscious underlying reasoning for why we're there. And when I say we, I'm talking about most people. And here's the reason we're coming there to get what's in it for us. Because we say it, oh, I got to get to church this morning because I got to get my word. I got to get whatever the Lord has for me. And it's nothing wrong with that. We should want to get what the Lord has for us. But is that the primary dominant reason for why God wants us here? No, that's called consumerism. Consumerism says, I am here to receive a service. God didn't call us to be mere consumers. He called us to be contributors. The motivation should be, I need to be here. I need to be at Bible study. I need to be in the gathering because God is in place and and put something inside of me that my brother and my sister needs from me. So unless we change that attitude, The gatherings are going to be uh, take it or leave it. Paul is about to break this down for us so to make sure we got our motives and intentions in check for why we're using these gifts. And in order for Paul to prove this point, he's going to single the gifts down to two gifts in particular, the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues. 
the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues. Now, I believe he could use any gifts to prove his point, but I do think he was deliberate when he singled those two gifts out. So just to give a little spoiler alert, here's what Paul is about to do. He's about to compare prophecy when used correctly to tongues when used incorrectly. And his point is that prophecy supersedes tongues when tongues ain't being used right. Amen. Let's get to it. Verse one. Paul says, pursue love. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially. That you may prophesy. His first word is. Pursue. Love. That word pursue comes from a word in Greek that often in the New Testament is translated to persecute. The same word that is translated persecute in this passage is translated pursue. The word in Greek, the literal definition means to hasten after something. To rapidly move toward an objective. To chase after somebody. The word picture is uh, when you're persecuting somebody, what do you do? You're hunting them down to bring harm to them. Y'all ever watch National Geographic back in the day? I used to watch that stuff heavy when I was a kid. Now you'll see the part with the lions. I was a little bloodthirsty when I was a kid, y'all. I don't know what that was. I hope I'm delivered from that. But they see like the lion, and then you get to chasing them hyenas. Like the way that lion would chase after his prey relentlessly Paul says do that towards love pursue love make love your aim when Paul says pursue love he's not saying pursue it to be a recipient of it he's saying pursue it to be a giver of it In other words, let love be the motivation for everything that you do, specifically when it comes to the gifts. He says, rapidly pursue after love. Amen. Next, he says, and, which means this is connected to what he already said, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So he didn't stop at love. He continued and he said, and make sure you earnestly desire the gifts. That word literally means to be intensely interested in something. To be consumed by something. I love one definition in the lexicon. It says to exert one's strength to obtain. To earnestly desire the gifts. Paul says spiritual gifts should not be an afterthought for you. Now, if I find out what my gifts are, cool, if not cool. If I use my gifts, eh, that would be great. But if I don't, the Lord is still pleased because I'm living a godly life and I'm showing up. That ain't what this man just said. He says be intensely interested in the gifts. That verse is the reason I'm in this series right now. We've been a church for four years. This is the first time I've done any teaching on it. That's not intensely interested. But the scripture says, make this a priority. He didn't say be intensely interested to start the marriage ministry. He could have said that. 
But he singled out, you need to make sure these people know how to use these gifts. So he says, be intensely interested. But notice he didn't say that first. Ah, before he said, be interested in the gifts, Paul knows the hearts of men, not in an omniscient way, but he knows theologically how human beings are. So he says, I cannot point them to gifts until I first point them to love. Why would Paul prioritize love before he brought up the gifts? I'm going to give you a mathematical equation. Now, sorry kids, but Brian got D's and F's in math for most of my, sorry boys, I got to tell you, math was not my subject. So don't get used to me giving no formulas, but today, you can trust this formula I'm about to drop on you. Y'all ready? Here's why Paul brought up love before spiritual gifts. Write this down. Spiritual gifts minus love equals spiritual abuse. Let's let that sit for a minute. Spiritual gifts minus love equals spiritual abuse. Here's equation number two. Spiritual gifts minus love can also equal spiritual neglect. Let's talk about that one by one. Why would I say that formula? That, that's for sure. <laughs> no doubt. If you give a gift to somebody, but it is detached from love, they're going to weaponize that gift to hurt people. I mean, that is inevitable. It will happen. Paul knows this, so he's like, before I list all these gifts and start getting them excited about the gifts, I got to make sure they master love right, because if not, they're going to tear each other down with what was supposed to be a blessing. When you are anointed by God to do something, but you are functioning and walking in that thing devoid of love, it can be the ugliest expression you could imagine. One of the reasons we are seeing so much abuse in the church, well, one reason is because a lot of what we call church are not churches but cults, but that's a sermon for another day. But on the other side, one of the reasons we see so much abuse in churches is because you got leaders who are devoid from love trying to serve people. You can't do it. Here's what it looks like when we use gifts without love. If I got the gift of leadership, which we're going to talk about in the series, ability to lead and guide people, that's my gift, and I have that gift without a foundation of love, all I'm going to do is dominate people. I'm going to be a domineering leader. I'm going to use obedient speech when I talk to people. You need to obey me. You need to do this. This is mandatory. Listen or else. Are you going to disobey the man of God if you disobey me? God is not pleased. That is domineering. But that's what it looks like without love. If I have 
what Paul called the spiritual gift, called the word of wisdom. I won't just give wise words to assist people in their decision making. Instead, I'm going to use my spiritual gift of wisdom to make all the recipients feel dumb. To feel foolish. Oh, you didn't know that? Of course you should do this. Here's what here's how you should deal with that situation. Come on, man. See the attitude and the tone. The gift is still there, but it's devoid of love. So it becomes a sword. To chop people up. If I got the gift of administration. To be a visionary, to just implement things and to organize things, I'm going to always feel like my ideas are the best. So any idea you bring to me, I'm shooting that down because I didn't come up with it. And I don't love the church enough to just care about their well-being. I'm more concerned with getting my credit for what I'm doing. So when you got an idea, even if I know it's better, I'm not going to admit that because I don't love you enough to tell you your way is better than mine. This is what it looks like devoid of love. If I got the gift of teaching, man, I don't want to say this one because I'm going to be talking about myself. Y'all can't never say I don't love the Lord, man. Because I'll be saying what he want me to say to the best of my ability. Do I want to start with a story first or just say what it is? I got some stories from my early 20s. I'm going to start with my point first and then explain the background. When you got a spiritual gift of teaching but are devoid of love, you always got to be the smartest person in the room. You got to use words and terminology that you know nobody else in the room know so that they can ask you, what does that mean? And then your ego can get stroked because you get to teach them something new. When you got the spiritual gift of teaching and not enough, enough love, you turn every conversation into a sermon. You're not even able to listen to people's pain because you're in such a rush to teach them a verse. People got problems and issues and hurts, and all you want to do is quote scripture to them out of out of sync with the timing. Listen, man, when in my early 20s, I used to come to Bible studies not to learn but to teach. But I wasn't the teacher. <laughs> Facts. Like when somebody called me, that would be we got a Bible study over and such and said, I cancel all my plans. Not because I'm hungry to learn anything, because in my mind, I already know everything there is to be learned. I'm talking 22, y'all. I'm thinking this way. What you going to teach me? I'm going to be at the Bible study. And you know that guy who always asks the questions, but the question is really a statement? That would be me. Gift of teaching, but no love there. So you just got to flex your intellectual muscles and your academic prowess constantly. Let me tell you what I know. Now, on the one hand, it could be used for good. You have a hunger to teach and you want to you share the word of God with people. When God revealed to me I was called to preach, yes, there was a genuine desire to just want to share everything I know. But those things can be perverted by depravity and sin. And the bulk of it was not good intentions. I'm telling y'all, I would go up in them joints, man, just to add, raise my hand for every question. Just to show everybody how much I know. You feel like you got to always show off what you know to somebody. You know there's some love missing there. 
spiritual gifts minus love equals spiritual abuse or spiritual neglect. If I have a gift, and if I'm born again, I do, and you do. If you're born again, you have a spiritual gift. But if I don't love the way I'm supposed to love, I'm in no rush to figure out what that gift is. So I'm a neglected. You can't get this nowhere else but Living Stones live, y'all. Son kicking it. He said, my son just threw his shoe at me. You like that point, Simmy? Hey, Shantra, in the Kojic Church, they say that's a good sign, right? There you go, boy. I appreciate that. <laughs> Live at Living Stones. Sorry to all those who are listening to this audio recording. Spiritual neglect. I don't love you enough to try to make finding out what my gift is a priority. Even though you can benefit from my gift, there's not enough love there. I love my introversion more. I love my fear more. I love my timidity more. I love my insecurities more. I love my self-esteem more. I don't love you more than those things. So God can deal with me on judgment. I am cool not finding out what my gifts are. Spiritual neglect. We neglect the gifts. And as a result of neglecting the gifts, we neglect the body. Y'all know what Paul told Timothy? Paul told Timothy who was struggling with timidity. Because remember, in 2 Timothy 1 and 9, he says, God did not give you the spirit of timidity, but power and love and a sound mind. That's the context. It seems that Timothy, who was a young, uh, a young apostolic delegate leader, had some timidity and fear issues that was making him a little passive. So Paul is like, God ain't give you that. You got to come up out of that. But then later in the book of Timothy, he says, Timothy, stir up the gift. Some translations say, do not neglect the gift. That was bestowed upon you by prophetic utterance when the council of the elders laid their hands on you. Paul was working with Timothy like, man, you got to come up out of this fear. You got to use your gifts for the body. He says, you got a gift, man. Use it. Don't neglect it. But when you don't have enough love, it's not going to be no priority. So Paul says, pursue love first. We better master that. Before we desire to gifts. Now, when Paul says pursue love, understand that this is a continuation of chapter 13. Y'all know the popular love chapter. I deliberately didn't use this verse in Brian and Tasha's wedding because I believe it's out of context to use at a wedding. True for married couples. It's okay. It's a little bit of application there, but that's not what Paul is talking about. First Corinthians 13, he says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not brag. It does not boast. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. It does not insist on having its own way. All of that is within the context of spiritual gifts. So what Paul is trying to say here is that if there's any doubt <laughs> whether you're using your gifts in a loving way or not, just read First Corinthians chapter 13 and say, do I fit? This criteria. We need to love better. Now, he says, pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you what? Prophesy. So now he's elevating prophecy above other gifts. Now, if you remember part one of our series, Paul was clear in chapter 12 that all the gifts are equal. 
Well, if that's true, why is he saying prophesy over everything else? Remember, he's comparing the legitimate use of prophecy to the illegitimate use of tongues. Let's talk about it. Verse two. Why does Paul prefer prophecy over tongues? Look at verse two. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. Now, let's stop for a minute. If a man is speaking to God, what do we call that? Prayer. So already we see that tongues can be used as what? That's where we get that theological perspective from. He says he speaks to God, not to men. Doesn't stop there. For no one understands him. He utters mysteries in the spirit. Paul says, here's what the gift of tongues is. It is prayer communication toward God using a language that no one understands. When Paul said no one, he meant no one. Now, let's get into this on a deeper theological level for a minute. If you remember part two of our series, we talked about tongues already, right? And we walked through Acts chapter two, the day of Pentecost. If you remember, that verse says the apostles came together and they were speaking in real human known languages. That was the miracle, right? But Paul says, whoever's speaking in this tongue, nobody understands him, meaning it's not a real language. Because there's nobody on earth who speaks it or understands it. This tells us that what we saw in Acts chapter 2 must be different than what we're seeing in Acts, in 1 Corinthians 14. Let's go a little deeper. He's not saying there are two different types of gifts. It's still the same gift. What he's saying is that what we saw in Acts 2 was a unique experience when God originally poured out his spirit. It was not to be repeated, most likely. In other words, the gift started one way and then it evolved after that first time it was poured out in Acts chapter 2. Let me prove that to you. In Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, before the apostles spoke any tongues, it says that what came through the window? Wind. Said a strong wind was blowing. That's never repeated anywhere else in the Bible where tongues is mentioned. It says that tongues as a fire were on top of everybody's head. That's not repeated anywhere else through the rest of Scripture. It says that that the men understood what they were saying because they were speaking real languages. Paul just said, don't nobody understand. Acts 2, it says they were simultaneously, I'm sorry, uh, spontaneously filled with the Holy Spirit, meaning that it was a sovereign move of God. 1 Corinthians 14, Paul saying it's a permanent gift that can be used at will, turned on and turned off. Acts chapter 2, the reason God gave the gifts was to show the nations that he was reversing the curse that he placed on people at the Tower of Babel. That ain't got nothing to do with what Paul is talking about here. Two different expressions. God inaugurated it, and then eventually the meaning changed. Just like baptism. You got John's baptism, which was a baptism of repentance. Then Jesus came, and then what happens? Now you're not baptized. It's not a baptism of repentance. It's a baptism of reflection. Started one way, then evolved. 
So we see that tongues can be used as prayer toward God. But if nobody understands him and he's speaking mysteries, mysteries mean don't nobody get it, then how would that be a benefit to you and I? I mean, if I'm talking to you and you don't understand anything I'm saying, what's the benefit there? Paul about to tell us, verse 3, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, consolation. Did you catch that? He who speaks in a tongue speaks to God. He who prophesies speaks to who? See the difference? One benefits the person. The other one is directed toward God who don't need nothing. We're the ones who are in need. So Paul is saying, focus on gifts that serve each other. Now in part three of our series, we talked about what prophecy is. It says he speaks to people for their upbuilding edification. Upbuilding means spiritual development. Encouragement means an exhortation to move you to action. And consolation means to comfort people in their depression or grief. Just based on that, we can see how much prophecy we need, right? <laughs> we be going through stuff. Paul knows this. He was like, get this prophecy thing together. Verse 4, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Think about what Paul just said. He says the tongue speaker builds up himself. It, it does something, but it only does something for the person speaking. Prophecy builds up the church. Let me give you an illustration to show this. Right now, I'm using my gift of teaching slash preaching, right? And you guys are in the congregation listening to this sermon, right? Imagine this. You guys all show up. Y'all all in the congregation, right? My son, my son, know I'm about to say something crazy. That's why he made that noise. I just walk through the door. I don't say nothing to nobody. I just walk through. I got my Bible in my hand. I just walk up. And then I just pull out this big old suitcase and I open it up. And I don't say nothing to nobody. I'm just pulling up all these clear glass pieces. And I just begin to nail it and clip everything together. And it's a sound booth. Noise cancellation sound booth. And then I put all this, the insulation, all my producers and rappers know what I'm talking about. You got that foam you put in there to get rid of enhanced sound. I'm just getting everything soundproof. Then I grab my Bible and my podium. And I stand behind the sound booth. And I just start preaching. And I'm going in. I got all my facial expressions. You can tell I'm yelling. Y'all know I yell a lot when I preach. You can tell I'm sweating and, and everything going on, right? And nobody hears what I'm saying. But I'm back here. I'm just, la da 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 I'm just going in. And I'm jumping up and down, and I'm, I'm shaking. It's getting good to me. I'm, I'm building myself up in the scriptures. And y'all don't hear nothing. Then I end my sermon. Be like, all right, y'all, see y'all next week. Y'all will be looking at me like I am totally insane. Like, what is this brother doing? That's what it's like to speak in tongues in church. 
Can't nobody understand what you're saying. People are going to be looking at you like, how can we benefit from this? We don't even know what the brother's saying. Let me prove this to you. T, let me get 1 Corinthians 14, verse 23. Just in case you think I'm wild with my illustration. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? That's Paul said that. And I've experienced this in my life. I was just talking to Calvin the other day, two days ago. He didn't even know I was preaching on this, but he was telling me a story back when we were younger, how he went to a revival and that happened. And he was new in the faith. And he was like, <laughs> Calvin, <laughs> Calvin was a different, y'all. But he, he, <laughs> he just stormed up, he stormed up out of there, y'all. He just took a stand and protested and left. Paul says, look, man, if unbelievers see this, they're going to be like, these people got serious problems. So Paul is like, don't come to the church using this gift that doesn't benefit anybody because the gifts were given to what? Mutually serve each other. So if nobody understands you, you're not serving. Stick with me. The one who, uh, verse five, now I want, now I want you, actually, no, let me say this first. Let's go back to verse four. He says, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself but the one who prophesies builds up the church. The question is, we've been focusing on the wrong way of using tongues. Is there a right way? So let's, let's talk about that for a minute. If I can't come to the congregation and start blurting out tongues out loud for everybody, then what does Paul want me to do when I come to the local gathering. T, let me get 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse, uh, I think that's verse 28. Or it might, it might be verse 27, actually. There we go. If, now, he's talking about in the worship gathering. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three. So now this whole corporate tongue speaking situation we already see is unbiblical. Paul says two, at the most three. Then he says, and each in turn, not at the same time. Then it says, and let someone interpret. Now I'm going to come back to that. We're going to explain what that means. Verse 28, here it is. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church. And speak to himself and to God. Is it clear? He says, if there's nobody to interpret, he said, you ain't got to just shut off the gift. You better either, he must mean mumble it, where you're not a distraction to somebody else, or just think it in your mind. He says, keep silent and speak to himself and to God. Now, what did he mean when he says interpreter? Let's go back up to um, verse 5. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more that you prophesy. That's hyperbole there. He understands that everybody's not going to have the same gift. 
The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets. Here it is. So that the church, what? That's all Paul care about. He's not trying to be a party pooper. He just wants the church to benefit. So he says, unless someone interprets. Now, this gift is very hard to understand. And me and Courtney had a good conversation maybe a month ago or so. We was trying to figure this thing out on the phone. But the gift of interpretation, here's what it's not. It's not the gift of translation. So right now I have a Bible translation. This is an English translation, right? In fact, this is an ESV, which is called a word-for-word translation. This means that the scholar sat, the, sat down with the Hebrew scriptures open and with the, uh, the Greek scriptures open, the manuscripts, and then they begin to translate word-for-word into English to the best of their ability. That's called translation. The gift that Paul is talking about when he's talking about the gift of interpretation, he's saying not give a word for word breakdown of every syllable. He's saying just give an overarching meaning of what it's being said. What, what, like what does the, so if you got somebody who just spoke in tongues for five minutes, the interpretation might be 15 seconds. It's just a summary or a meaning behind the words. And it, we don't really know exactly how it works and all that because it's only mentioned in Corinthians. So we have limited data and we have limited data in church history. But it's real because <laughs> Paul said there's somebody that he's gifted who can interpret these tongues that are not normal languages. How you discern it, because, of course, you're going to have people that fake stuff and all that. I'm still working through that myself to figure these things out. But I believe it because that's what the scriptures say. And if it's in the scriptures, we need to find a way to make this work. Before we close, I want to share this talked about the misuse of tongues we talked about corporate tongues what not to do and what to do if there's no interpreter keep silent talk to yourself and to god let it only be one two or three at the most we got all of that right question is what if you're not in church what do you do with that gift then first corinthians chapter 14 verse 18 Look at what Paul says. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Now, after all this stuff, he didn't talked about tongues. <laughs> Paul is funny, man. He's like, listen, but don't get it twisted. I, I do it now. He's like, I speak in some tongues more than all y'all. <laughs> That's a low-key flex when you think of it. Like, like I saw Jesus, man, on the road to Damascus. <laughs> Like, I speak in tongues more than all y'all Corinthians. But look carefully at what he says. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. He's like, I love my gift. I use it all the time. But when I'm here... I'd rather use my mind speaking what would have been probably Greek or Aramaic rather than tongues. Why? Because the congregation understands the human language. But I want you to look at verse 19 and really connect the dots. I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in church, I don't. Well, if he's not doing it at church, where is he doing it? This is where we get the theological perspective of private tongues. 
He's saying in my prayer closet, when it's just me and God, tongues is coming out. If I'm around the church, I'm not going to do that because it doesn't serve or benefit my brother and sister. But at the crib, when I'm just alone with the Lord, I pray in tongues. Perhaps you might have that gift. Don't be discouraged about it. Just because God gave us parameters and the criteria on how to use it don't mean he's telling you to put it to sleep. We didn't read it, but later in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, do not forbid speaking in tongues. Pray, use it. If that's what God has given you, use it, but use it in private. Remember when Paul says he who speaks in a tongue builds up himself? That's not inherently a negative thing. It's only negative in church when you're building up yourself. How do I know that? Because the book of Jews says, always pray in the spirit, building up yourself on your most holy faith. There's nothing wrong with building up yourself in private. But when we come to the church, whether your gift is teaching, wisdom, knowledge, prophecy, service, the intention should be, I want to benefit my brother and sister. If it doesn't benefit anybody, keep it on the low. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the relevancy of your word. It's so clear. It's so true. Lord, you know the vision we have here at Living Stones. We want to be a church where everybody's mutually serving, not just those who have mics in their hand. But Lord, we want all the gifts to flourish. Even the ones that are unusual, that are hard to understand. God, you know the desires of my heart. You know the desires of your people. We want to see those gifts used biblically because we know if we use them biblically we're going to grow and we're going to be edified so god according to your holy spirit guide us in this way lord you know that our small group bible studies are now walking through spiritual gifts in the book god i pray that you will meet with your people i pray that accurate prophetic words will be spoken in those small groups i pray that gifts of healing will be experienced in those small groups I pray that words of encouragement will be experienced in those small groups. I pray that administration and and service and helps and, and gifts of contribution and gifts of mercy, that all the gifts you've listed out, I pray that in those smaller groups and in our corporate gatherings, these things will be fleshed out and experienced on a regular basis. Pour out your spirit on Living Stones Church. Pour out your spirit on your church all around the world so that globally we can serve each other through the giving of the gifts and so that you would be pleased and glorified with our service. Let love be our aim and our motivation. Let we not spiritually abuse or spiritually neglect. And we'll be mindful to give your name all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. Amen.